A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. What is brought to the fore, unsurprisingly, is a question again about how do we transition into recovery? What do we do about people and whole towns even that have been decimated? Do we just put Humpty Dumpty back together again and put people back in the same place with the possibility of future floods? Can we learn from this so we do not entrench the very conditions that gave rise to this disaster in the first place? And that involves some very difficult decisions. Kiara, this is Voices with me, Kadambri Raghukumar. Bruce Glavovich of Massey University is with me on today's episode. He was born and raised in South Africa, and over the years, his work around the world has revolved around research into policy planning, land use, and building resilient and sustainable communities in the face of climate adversity. This past month, as we've dealt with one of the worst natural calamities in New Zealand, I couldn't help but think of the relevance of an ongoing conversation I've been having with Bruce. Incidentally, some of it was very shortly before the floods and Cyclone Gabriel in February. How do you relocate a community where there are strong connections to place, where there are existing property rights, where the question of who pays and how do you do this, what's the role of insurance, what's the role of the local taxpayer. Across the world, the challenge of making these decisions is how the interface between government, civil society, and the private sector, how that interface unfolds. It's that intersection that shapes societal choices and outcomes. Post-Cyclone Gabriel, we're reflecting on his past experience as a researcher and policy advisor. I wanted to know how working firsthand with some horrific natural disasters over the years informs Bruce's work here. I came to Aotearoa 20-some years ago. Sadly, I've seen this and much worse. I spent time in Banda Aceh in Indonesia after the Indian Ocean tsunami and the scale of devastation with many tens of thousands, I think close to 200,000 people killed, which is a number that rolls off the tongue very easily, but it's an unbelievable number of people seen firsthand and worked with people who've lost their entire family and who are doing what they can in desperate circumstances to help others. Um, In post-Katrina New Orleans, I spent um, many, many months and probably several years over the course of time working with people to make sense of that recovery and the challenges associated with that and many of the lessons learned from that. But South Africa was where it all began for Bruce. My involvement um, was in post-apartheid South Africa developing um, policy to manage the South African coast and essentially to explicitly create space and opportunity for historically marginalized black South Africans to have a voice and a say in the shape of that policy because of the impact of apartheid. So what does that look like when you talk about post-apartheid South Africa and marginalized communities in the context of climate change and natural disasters? I mean, simply put, black South Africans had no opportunity to have a say in how public policy was developed. So in post-apartheid South Africa, 
the government of national unity in the early post-apartheid years prior to the election of the ANC as the government, public policy post-apartheid began to explicitly seek to have all South Africans have a say in policy. And like many other countries, one of the policy arenas that exists is how do we manage our coasts? Because our coasts in Aotearoa and in countries around the world are largely regarded as part of our common heritage. They're, they're something that we cherish as citizens of a country, like in Aotearoa. And in South Africa, that the coastal policy was an effort to ensure that the ravages of apartheid um, would be you know, pulled back and the coast could be an asset for all South Africans. And so the policy that I led a team de to develop was ultimately translated into South Africa's coastal legislation or law that governs how the coast is managed. And what was distinctive about the work that we did is that we created space for black South Africans and all South Africans to be able to have a meaningful voice in the development of the policy in an unprecedented way. That experience completely defines my thinking and approach to everything I do. Here in New Zealand, Bruce has been working with communities that are flood-prone in Manawatu and Whanganui, amongst other places. The work that I do, whether it's in disaster risk, whether it's in coastal governance, whether it's in climate change adaptation, comes back to that simple point of um, the current trajectory of much of how we live our lives is not sustainable on a planet that is finite in a world of escalating risk. What are the root causes and drivers of vulnerability? If we understand those and address those deliberately, then we will reduce the devastating impact of these extreme events. You cannot stop an earthquake, but you can reduce poverty. You can reduce marginalization. And that's where we need to focus our attention, in my view. For me, if we're going to build resilience, you start by creating space to have a voice in public decisions and you find ways to leverage public support, but also leverage the capabilities of the very people who are in peril. I don't look at it from the vantage point of the, the physical geography of the hazard, although I, that's important. What's much more important is the human geography of the, of the peril. It's how we construct vulnerability through policies that, that deepen and extend marginalization, um, economic deprivation, social destruction, cultural destruction. You know, the impact of colonization have shaped the character of our communities. There are communities in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that in recent decades would have had a police station, a community hall, a local school, a post office. They would have had um, the opportunity for people to come together and have a beer after work or, a, you know, a local farmer's club or people would, would get together in a marae. In many parts of our country, that is gone. So the question is how, against these big global forces and some of the other manifestations of these processes that entrench vulnerability, how do we overcome that? The scale of the natural disaster we faced here in New Zealand this summer paints a bleak picture. But for Bruce, this is also a challenge that he thinks we can, as a country and community, step up to. 
It's another warning of the kind of circumstances that will continue to unfold and sadly in even intensify as climate change proceeds apace. And again, what it does is it underscores why it's so important that we work hard, A, to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions because that is driving global warming. In addition, we have to deal to adaptation. And if anything, it boils down to two areas of difficult decision-making for policymakers, for city managers, for local communities, for Tangara Whenua. And that is when you have an existing settlement prone to these hazards, how do you build resilience? Because it is not possible mm. to just uplift a whole settlement or whole city and move it somewhere else. I am strongly of the view that what is needed is more of something along the lines of a royal commission that is tied into a public dialogue. We need to develop a shared understanding in the public amongst the citizens of New Zealand about what is coming. That will help to give politicians the um, support necessary to make some tough calls to prepare for the distant future. It is something that is bleak and we need to take it seriously, but there is reason for hope. And the reason for hope lies in the fact that we have good governance in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and the potential to leverage Mataranga Māori, uh, indigenous knowledge, and the incredible capabilities of people across government, civil society, and the private sector to really make a difference and to deal with these challenges in a constructive, collaborative way. That's Voices with me, Kadambi Ragukumar. Big thanks to Bruce Glavovich of Massey University for talking to me. You can catch more Voices episodes on all your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio and everywhere else. You can also find Voices on the RNZ website. Today's episode was mixed by Jeremy Ansel and I'm Kadambri Ragukumar. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.